You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and I just want to highlight really quickly before we dig into today's topic, um, as we've been going through Ephesians, what we've been seeing is that God has an eternal purpose for His church. And that's a theme that runs all the way through the book. So you can see what God has done on behalf of the church and how God continues to operate in His church. And the section that we're in is a section that really seems to emphasize from a variety of different angles maturity in the church, what it actually looks like for the church to grow spiritually mature. One of the things that has really struck me over time, just with people in general, but I also see this in many respects with believers, you, you can, so put it this way, there's, and I say this to my kids sometimes too, there, you can grow old or you can grow old and mature. And it, there's no guarantee that just because somebody ages that they're going to mature. And that's true socially, but it's also true spiritually. So, you, you know, we may have known Christ for, for decades, but there's no guarantee that we're going to progress in our faith to the level that we could progress in our faith unless we really own that and really cooperate with the Lord as He does His work within us and, and stop, you know, ignoring his voice and, and start seeing the things that he wants us to see. And so you have the Apostle Paul basically looking at the young church uh, in Ephesus and in the church areas around that city where local churches had been gathering, and he's saying, all right, you've known the Lord for a little while. It's time to really own it. It's time to really grow in your walk with him. And so we're in that section of the book of Ephesians where he's really hammering that home. And so you'll see that in the portion that we're looking at today. And one of the things that he talks about here is the stewardship of time. And so the big question I want to ask today as we look at verses 15 to 21 of Ephesians 5 is, are you making the best use of your time? He seems to indicate here that one of the marks of maturity among believers is this idea that we would make great use of the time the Lord has blessed us with. So what does it look like to to make great use of that? Well, he outlines it here for us in this passage. So take your Bibles and look with me really quickly at a relatively short section here, Ephesians 5, starting with verse 15, and I'm going to read down to verse 21. And Paul says it this way. He says, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Then he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this portion of Scripture that we're able to look at today and really think about what you're, you're speaking about here. And Lord, as we look at this portion of your Word, we realize that 
This is not a long portion of Scripture that we're looking at today. It's a relatively brief section from the book of Ephesians. But at the same time, Lord, it, it packs a punch. It's the type of thing that when we look at it, it's the type of thing that it's, it's very difficult to just glaze over because there's so many important things that you reference in this portion of Scripture. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to really latch on to the things that you communicated through the Apostle Paul. We know, Lord, that these are things that you wanted the early church to recognize, but these are things that, that ultimately they're timeless. These are things that, even though we live a couple thousand years later uh, than, than those who originally received this, Lord, we know that this is for us as well, and we pray that we would internalize these truths, that we would grow from them, that we would model them in our households, and that ultimately you would receive the glory as we take our faith in you more and more serious. So, Lord, thank you for the privilege to be able to look at these things today. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, and I I can't believe it's been this long, but in 2008, my wife and I, we we bought our house here in Langhorne. And you know when you you first move to a home, there are, and you kind of get sick of this, right? I got sick of this. It's like every time you, you leave your house, you're spending money on something else in the house. Do you ever notice that? Like when you, when you first move, it seems like every time you walk out of the house, you spend $200, right? Because you, you discover, I see some of you shaking your heads because you recently moved. I remember it driving me nuts at one point. But one purchase that did not drive me crazy when we first bought our home was our, our television. In fact, right after, we, right after we bought the house, we had a whole new setup. You know, a whole, whole new space. The room was configured a whole different way from our previous home. And so one of the first things we, we bought was a television, and I was in charge of that purchase. And I was pretty excited about it because the TV that I found happened to be a lot bigger than the previous TV that we had had. And by the way, Andrea kept noticing over the course of our marriage, she's like, how come every time we get a TV, it takes up more and more wall space in this house? And I'm like, I don't know, but they keep making them bigger, and I keep buying them. And, um, and the other thing, you know, this is 2008, keep in mind, and at that point, flat screen technology was still relatively new. You know, some people were starting to get flat screen TVs. Other people said, no, nah, my, my, my TV is uh, fine, you know, the wise people, right? You know, but I was like, no, if we're getting a new TV... Obviously, we're getting a flat screen TV. And so I went around and I found a flat screen TV. I was pretty excited about it. It was kind of a novel thing for the time. And I couldn't wait to use it. And I actually felt a little protective of it because I I didn't want other people touching it because I thought, like, this is expensive. It's new technology. It's precious to me. And I don't know how long I expected that TV to last. I don't know, like, what my thinking was when I bought it. I know it was the most expensive TV that we had ever purchased. But a couple years after we bought that TV, it started making strange static noises. And I would hear it, and we would kind of pause for a second. We'd be like, did you hear that? Be like, I I don't think, it's nothing. I don't don't hear anything. And then you had to admit it. You're like, no, it's kind of making a weird noise. Like, that's a weird noise. And then soon after it started making some of those noises that I didn't know how to correct. I just hoped that it would self-heal, right? Is there such a like, self-healing TV, like, a, like a, a human scab you know, that just heals? Just, do TVs do that? That one didn't. Uh, I hoped it would stop on its own, but it didn't. And then soon after that, we started, on occasion, just smelling like a little bit of a strange smell. And we're, we're like, is that, is that, what is that? Like, I'm hearing that static noise. Are you smelling anything? No, I'm not smelling anything. No, I really think I smell something. What is that? And then you kind of live in denial. It was subtle. But then after a while, you're like, no, I, 
think I, I kind of noticed something there. And then that TV did something that I'd never seen a TV do before. As we were watching it one evening, it made, uh, it made the noise, and then I started smelling the smell, and then when we looked behind the right side of the TV, smoke started coming out of it. I was like, well, this is new, but the picture was still good. So we're like, this is fine, right? No, it, was, it wasn't fine. At that point, I unplugged it, and it took to that point. Um, and, and, and I contacted the manufacturer, and they took a long time to respond. Eventually, they did send us a replacement TV, uh, but that took a while for them to do that. So when that replacement TV came, I sold that replacement TV. A friend of mine bought it off me, and while we were waiting to see what the manufacturer would do, we decided to go buy another TV because we thought, well, we can't go without a TV. And so the TV that we replaced that one with was even larger than that one happened to be. And again, I was really excited to put it into use. Andrea said, you're being very consistent. Again, every time you get another TV, it's always bigger than the previous one. But over time, this is kind of interesting. This is, this is weird. This might make you a little disappointed in me, okay? Um, my perspective toward that TV has gradually started to change. We still own that one. That one's lasted a long time. I think we're pretty close to like 10 years on that TV. But I barely use it. I barely use it. Um, A few years ago, I actually made it, you know how like when you're starting a new year, you think through your goals, you think through the things you want to work on. I I made it a goal. I didn't, I didn't say I wasn't going to watch any TV because I do like watching football and, and uh, on occasion there'll be something you just want to catch. But I, my goal was the way I phrased it was like this. I want to watch less TV this year than any previous year of my life. That was my goal, just less. So I didn't know what less would look like, but my goal was I want to watch less TV than I ever have. And so I made it a goal to to be doing something else during the hours when I would normally watch TV. So I started using that time for conversation with my family. I guess that's okay. TV sometimes was better than that. I'm not going to lie, but I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I started using that for conversation with my family, um, I started reading more. I read a lot, but I read even more. And in fact, when you look at my, the chair, I said to my wife last night, I, I just promised her less than 24 hours ago, I said, all right, this stack of books that I have here, I'm going to figure out a home for all of these. But I read several books at once, and so that stack kept growing right next to my chair there. And I also started using that time in the evenings that was dedicated for TV for writing and recording. I was like, I'm going to have conversation, I'm going to read, I'm going to write, and I'm going to record. That's what I'm going to do during that time instead of sitting there staring at that giant screen. And the, the amazing thing is the Lord's blessed all four of those areas. I've been extremely grateful to see how my faith in Him has grown, how my relationships with my family have grown, and how He's blessed the content that's been produced in those times. So now I have a big TV that gets turned on once or twice a week, which means it may last forever. It may last forever because I'm using the time that I used to spend watching it doing something that I think is a little bit more productive. But have you ever just taken some time to take an assessment of how you're using your time? And sometimes it can be difficult to admit how we use our time. We don't always want to admit it, 
because we all have little time wasters here and there. And I actually think our time wasters sometimes can actually be good things. I don't think we need to be so militant in our productivity that we never take a little bit of a break for recreation. I think recreation is wonderful. I actually think it's a gift from the Lord. But I also think we should be wise in how we do all things so that we don't go too far in one direction or too far in another direction. But I think it's useful for us from time to time to just take an assessment of, all right, how am I using my time? I get this amount of time in a day or in a week. How am I using this time? And that's the kind of question that I think the Apostle Paul was trying to invite the early church to ask. He wanted them to be thinking about this. He he wanted us long-term to be thinking about this. And when you look at Ephesians 5, when you look at verses 15 to 21, which we just read a moment ago, and we'll take a look at this a section at a time here, he has some suggestions for us as to how we as growing believers can use the time that we've been given. So I just want to look at his suggestions because he has a few of them here. First suggestion he gives to us is this, access and implement the wisdom of God. So good use of your time, a good use of my time is to take the wisdom of God and actually implement it in my day-to-day life and your day-to-day life. Look at what he says when you look at verse 15 down to verse 17. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Then he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So let me ask you a question with those verses in mind. Do you think you understand the Lord's will for your life? Do you understand the Lord's will for your life? God's will is one of the big questions that I think many of us spend a considerable amount of time wondering about. We wonder about things, depending on what season of life we're at, we wonder about, okay, who should I marry? Or what career should I pursue? Or how should I invest? Or when should I retire? Or how should I use my retirement years? Or what kind of legacy should I be leaving for my children and my grandchildren? These are the type of things that we wonder about. And when you look at this passage, you have Paul encouraging us to understand what the will of the Lord is. But my question for us is, how is the will of God understood? Because Paul's encouraging us to understand it, so okay, how is it understood? How do you understand the will of God? How do you know the will of God for your life? There's two important aspects to the will of God that I think that we need to be aware of if we're going to understand how the will of God works. There are aspects to God's will that I tend to call His moral will. And then there are other aspects to the will of God that I usually refer to as His sovereign will. So you have the moral will of God and you have the sovereign will of God. Well, God's moral will is very clear. It's not even mysterious, right? His moral will has been clearly revealed in His Word. So I don't have to wonder if it's God's will for me to steal. Because his word makes it abundantly clear, John, don't steal. That's not a mystery, right? It's not a mystery for me, not a mystery for you. I don't have to wonder if it's God's will for me to be unkind to people. Because when you look at what the word of God tells me, it tells me to show mercy and compassion because I am a recipient of the mercy and compassion of Jesus Christ. So the moral will of God says, show mercy, show compassion. It's very obvious. It's not mysterious. It's something that's plainly outlined in Scripture. But the part that tends to confuse many people is the sovereign will of God. So think about that for a second. 
And when it comes to like the sovereign will of God, we tend to ask questions like this. Where does God want me to live? Right? Do you ever ask a question like that, especially if you're at a transitional season of life? Where does God want me to live? Or how about this? Should I start a new career in this field or that field? I just heard that I think last month, four million people uh, resigned from their positions, something like that in the United States. It was four million. Some, some others have heard that stat. So I think people are asking questions like that, right? What does the Lord want me to do? Should I start a new career over here? Should I start a new career over here? I think those are challenging questions. I think that sometimes those are difficult things to to discern or maybe get an answer to, at least in the immediate. But let me share something for you. I've shared this before, but let me share something for you that has helped me greatly when it comes to trying to discern the sovereign will of God. The moral will, extremely clear. The sovereign will of God takes a little bit of uh, discernment to try and figure out. And what I've discovered is this. If I am not fighting God about listening to the counsel of his moral will, I also tend to find it much easier to discern his sovereign will. So if the pattern of my life becomes one where I am listening to God's voice without resistance, if the pattern of my life is, you know, if God says, all right, you're supposed to be kind, even to your enemy, you're supposed to pray for someone who sets themselves as your, against you as an enemy, pray for them. And if I'm, if I'm resisting God in that, if I'm saying, I don't want to pray for them because that person has a personality and, and demeanor that irritates me, and they deserve every bad thing that ever comes to them, and I only want bad things to happen in their life, right? Do you think that it's going to be easy for me if I harden my heart against God's moral will to discern His sovereign will? It's going to be hard for me to discern His sovereign will because the pattern of my life is one where I take very obvious aspects of the will of God and I ignore them because I don't like what He says. So if I don't make a pattern of listening to the voice of God, then guess what? I'm not going to be making a pattern of hearing the voice of God. If I ignore the voice of God as the pattern of my life in obvious areas, the areas that take a little bit more of a faith stretch and a little bit more discernment, I'm not going to hear them in those areas either. And I love what Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, because it speaks of this very thing. And maybe you're familiar with the Scripture, maybe you're not. But in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I love that portion of Scripture. Because what is it telling us? It's saying, all right, don't be conformed to this world. And typically, that's one of the things that we wrestle with, because most of the influences that that we're being bombarded with, whether it be through our TV or whether it be through billboards or whether it be through our phones or whether it be through uh, just general conversations and the attitudes of people we know, frequently, we're being bombarded with a worldly perspective that we're being encouraged or even pressured to adopt. And in many respects, you could look at your life in this world and say, you know what, it'd just be easier if I just went with the flow of what this world wants me to go with. You know, if I just go along with whatever the, the, the spirit of the times happens to be, if I just do that, then, you know, maybe my life will be easy. Maybe everything will be fine. Maybe people will stop giving me grief. But here's the cost that comes with that. You stop being able to discern the will of God. Because what you've done is you've just given your mind and your heart over to the priorities of an ungodly world. And here Paul's saying, don't be conformed to this world. Don't do it. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind as the Holy Spirit 
gives you a new way to see and think and perceive, and then you'll be able to discern what the will of God is. If you're listening to the counsel of the Spirit, and that's the same counsel that he's giving the church in Ephesus here in in, in Ephesians chapter 5. It's the same counsel he gave the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12. He's challenging them to avoid walking in foolishness and avoid walking in evil if they want to understand the will of God. So let me just say this, or let me ask this. Do you feel like you know God's will for yourself? You know, where are you on that spectrum of feeling like you understand that? Well, when you look at what Scripture tells us, we're told that through faith in Jesus, we are given confident access to God the Father. And through faith in Jesus, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Through faith in Jesus, we're also told that that we have... We have everything we need in order to grow in grace and wisdom. So is that what we want to do? Or is our time still being utilized to pursue lesser things? Are we being entertained by foolishness, or are we being enlightened by the wisdom of our Creator? If, right now, you're going through a season where you're trying to discern God's will in a particular area and, you're, and you want his wisdom, don't compartmentalize his wisdom. Don't ask him for wisdom in one area and then ignore the obvious things that he's telling you in the other areas. Welcome it all and your discernment will grow and your faith will mature. And that's what Paul was trying to encourage the church at Ephesus to understand that that's a good use of your time as a believer. And then he goes from there to encourage us to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. And you can see how these thoughts go hand in hand. It's like, do I want to live under the influence of this world, or do I want to live under the control or the influence of the Holy Spirit? Well, for a growing believer, we want to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's a good use of your time. Look at how he says it in, um, in verse 18 down to verse 20. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's some interesting things that Paul says here in this portion of Scripture, and I debated, what, should I, what do I want to say about this? So I'm going to share with you, I'm going to be pretty transparent about some of my opinions Um, about some of these things. So over the course of my life, I have discovered, and maybe you've discovered this as well, that many people have different opinions about drinking alcohol. Would you say that that's something that that people tend to debate, whether it's appropriate, whether it's not appropriate? Those opinions vary uh, among all kinds of people, including Christians, right? We we have different perspectives, different beliefs. We have different proof texts that we like to, to, you know, use to support our arguments. Um, and I'm, I'm regularly asked my opinion about that subject. That's something that probably, I don't know, I would say probably, you know, at least five, ten times a year I'm asked my, my opinion about that specific subject. So do you want to know my opinion, or do you, would you rather I not say it in case it's different from yours? <laughs> what, you know, where are we at? Some of you are like, I don't know, this is iffy. What if this gets me in trouble? Um, I'm going to give you my opinion, but I'm also going to say this is an opinion. But I'll, I'll tell you how I how I base this opinion, okay? And you could, you could do what you choose to do with this. Even, and by the way, we're still friends even if you think differently, okay? And don't think that if you think differently than me that I'm going to be judging you and be like, oh, uh, so you hold a, that opinion. Interesting. 
no, I just, we just can't hang out. That's all. That's all right. Um, so I decided when I was 15 years old, I made a decision and I've kept to it. I decided when I was 15, I'm not going to drink anymore. That's what I decided. When I was 15 years old, I was like, I'm not going to drink anymore. Uh, prior to that, I was more than willing to drink and uh, took every opportunity that was afforded to me to hang out with people that were much older than me and uh, consume as much as I could get my hands on. And, uh, and that was kind of the pattern of my life up to that point. And, um, and then, you know, I, I decided, I, I don't think that this is, I really didn't feel like that's what the Lord wanted me to do. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to change. I actually made a bet with my dad. This is crazy. I, I said to my dad, we were at an Arby's, um, where most spiritual decisions have been made in my life. And, uh, and I said to my dad, I said, dad, I'm not going to drink. And he said, yeah, Right. That, that was his response, because he had already caught me with alcohol plenty of times, and he's like, yeah, right. I was like, no, I promise you, I'm not going to drink. And he said, okay, we'll see. And I said, Dad, I bet you money I don't. And he's like, come on. I was like, I bet you money. I was like, I, it was like February, and I said, I bet you, I, I said, how about this? If a year from now, I have not drank, if I, or drank, if I have not touched alcohol in a year, you have to pay me 20 bucks. And he's like, I'll take that bet. He's like, you're going to lose that. And, um, and I said, no, I'm not going to lose that. I'm going to win that. And he's like, fine, I'll pay you 20 bucks. If you make it a whole year without drinking, I'll pay 20 bucks, 20 bucks well spent. And I was like, great, that's what I'm going to do then. And, uh, and so, uh, and I said to him, but here's the deal. This goes every year until I'm 21. And if I make it till I'm 21 without drinking, you have to pay me a hundred. And he's like, also fine with me. Deal. We shook on it. And every year, it be, that became the most boring, anticlimactic bet ever. Because within a year, he knew I was serious. And he's like, oh, man, I've got like five more years on this bet. And I could tell that he's actually going to follow through with it. And every year in February, I'd be like, Dad, it's time to pay up. And when I was 21, I was like, hey, Dad, it's time for 100 bucks. <laughs> yes. I never let him forget it. And he came through and he paid for it. And, but this, is, this was my thinking. And again, you can see that this is based on opinion, um, but it's, it's a little bit more than that for me. I, I decided, I was like, I can't think of anything good that will come to my life from it. So I decide, But I could think of a lot of negative things that can come to my life if I choose to indulge in it. And so I said, you know what? For me, I have decided that's it. My season of drinking happened prior to age 15. I haven't touched alcohol since then. doesn't make me a better Christian than a Christian that thinks that it's okay. It's just something that I felt convicted was what the Lord wants. It would, it would put it this way, it would violate my conscience to do that. I've seen a few things. I've done enough counseling through the years to realize it's not something I should bring into my life. And so that's the decision I made on it. And if you feel differently about that, we can still be friends. And I still love you in the Lord. But those are my thoughts on the matter. Those are my opinions on the matter. And whatever your opinions happen to be, even if they differ, I think what we can agree about, when you look at this portion of Scripture, is that Paul encourages the believers not to get drunk, right? When you look at this, he says, don't get drunk. So whatever your opinion on alcohol happens to be, whether it's the same as mine or different, every believer that takes the Word of God seriously can look at this and say, Paul clearly says... Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. That's what he clearly says. Don't get drunk. That's not a debatable matter. And the positive alternative to drunkenness that he gives us here is what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does he mean by that? What does it mean for you or me to be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Well, another way to describe what he's talking about here, this filling of the Spirit, is, to, is this idea of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's a manner of describing what it means to be under the Spirit's influence, under the Spirit's guidance. So as a believer in Christ, I don't want to come under the influence of anything that might have the capacity to control me or lead me in a foolish direction or in an evil way. And as my faith grows and as I tend to take my walk with Christ more and more serious, what I'm discovering is the same type of things that Paul's saying here in this portion of Scripture matter to me more than they used to. And what, what, I, what I'm getting from this is a deeper desire to more passionately live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want. I want to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So just consider for a moment what kind of impact it will make if you're living under the Spirit's influence and control. If He's influencing you, if He's controlling you, if He's guiding and directing the course of your life, that will make an impact on a lot of things. And the examples Paul gives here in this passage tells us that one of the things that will happen is we'll begin to address one another differently. You and I will address one another differently if we are under the Holy Spirit's influence and control. We'll speak to one another with grace. We'll speak to one another with goodness. The fruit of the Spirit will be demonstrated in our lives. And in addition to that, he also talks about the fact here that our mouths will express thanks to the Father for everything through the Son, Jesus Christ. And this, by the way, and I hope you'll hear me on this, This is the recipe for a joyful and content life. That's the recipe. If you want to experience discontent and a lack of joy, keep believing what the world tells you. And you will discover it doesn't work. It always fails you and it always leaves you with shame and regret. But if you want to experience The kind of life that Paul's describing here, the life of a mature believer, a life that's filled with contentment, a life that's filled with joy, welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen to His counsel and His comfort. Listen to His direction. I was praying about something recently. I won't go into the details of what I was praying about, but one of the patterns that I have is I like to pray before I go to bed at night, and I think think probably a lot of people do that. I think it calms my mind and my heart down. And it was something that had kind of worked me up a little bit. And, and as I was praying, one of the things that happened to me in that time of prayer was the Lord just filled my heart with an assurance that in His time, He would answer that prayer. And so my job in the meantime was to just trust Him and trust His timing. And it was interesting in that moment, as I just sat there, And I was like sitting up in bed praying, and I thought, you know what? Right now my heart is filled with an indescribable peace. It was a confidence that the Lord heard me and would answer my prayer as he saw fit and in his perfect timing. And I look at that and I see that as being evidence of the benefit of being filled with the Spirit, where we allow Him to guide and direct and influence our thinking, where we, where we submit ourselves to His lordship and control. And there's contentment in that. There's joy in that. There's peace in that. And the world doesn't offer that to us. And so Paul's saying, this is a good use of your time. But there's one other thing that he points out in this portion of Scripture that I want to highlight for us. And this is where I want to finish today. He talks about this idea of demonstrating your reverence for Christ in how you treat his bride. 
Now think about that statement for just a second. Look at what he says in verse 21. It's just part of a sentence. Verse 21 is just part of a sentence. He says this very briefly. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So just think about that. That's it. That's all it says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a very short statement. Very challenging to live out sometimes, right? What does it take to become a good leader? You ever ask that question? What does it take to become a good leader in any field? Spiritual leadership, household leadership, occupational leadership, organizational leadership. What does it take to be a good leader? It's a question I've often asked my children during times of family discussion. It's a, a thing that I, I, a question I often ask in my own mind. I think a, an, an important aspect of that answer can be derived from what Paul says right here. I don't think you can become a good leader if you don't first experience the process of allowing yourself to be led. And I don't think you could lead well unless you're willing to answer to a higher authority that you're willing to be accountable to. Now, when you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us that Christ is the head of the church. So each of us, as members of his body, should willingly submit to him and should show him reverence. In our submission, we should show him reverence. Now, I don't think any of us would argue against that theologically, but I think, admittedly, there are times when it feels much easier to go our own way or maybe to defer to our own counsel instead of submitting ourselves to Christ's leadership. And that's a struggle for us relationally as well, as we interact as brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the things Jesus demonstrated to us during the course of his earthly ministry was a willingness to put the needs of others above his own comfort something you see all throughout the course of the Gospels, Jesus putting the needs of others over his own comfort. And I wonder, is that something we'd be willing to do for each other? You know, you're sitting next to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you be willing to put the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ over your own comforts? Would we be willing to submit our preferences to the preferences of another brother or sister in Christ? Would we be willing to follow Christ's example in how we treat one another? It's a mark of maturity, right? One of the most powerful ways we can demonstrate our reverence for Christ is by how we choose to treat His bride. And Scripture refers to the church as the bride of Christ. So the way you and I treat the bride of Christ demonstrates the nature of our reverence for Christ. I have to tell you, as as a husband... My response to you will be directly impacted by how you treat my bride. It would be wise to treat her well, right? Treat her well. That will will impact my response to you. If we love Jesus, we should love who he loves. He loves his church. He wants each member of his church to love one another since we're all united to him and since we're united to one another as the church. So instead of cutting one another down, we're called to build one another up. Instead of elevating ourselves over each other, we're called to submit to one another. What matters to you should matter to me. What matters to me should matter to you. Paul here says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I have a good group of friends who demonstrate this really well in my life. And every two months, we make a point to get together for lunch. And we actually did that just this past week. And uh, here's what I observed at this lunch. I was thinking about this in preparation for today. Because they demonstrate this really well to me. One of the guys owns a farm. And he's converting that farm into a retreat center. And so you know what he told everybody at the table? 
He invited each of us to stay at his expense if we need a break. If anyone needs a break, come and stay at my farm. It's right outside of D.C. He said, come and stay at my farm if you need a break. Another friend paid for lunch for all six people. Two people brought books to share with other people just as a surprise. It's like, hey, this book was meaningful to me. It encouraged me. I thought of you when I was reading it. I bought a copy for you. Two people did that at that lunch. And then all six of us went around the table and took time to just listen to whatever that person wanted to say. And if it was appropriate to give feedback, we gave feedback. But if we were the ones sharing, we also received the feedback that we were given because it was coming from people that we trusted and loved. And at the end of it all, I was part of the last group of people uh, that got to their cars and, and left. And at the end of it all, the remaining group of us prayed for each other in the parking lot before we got in our cars and before we headed back. And I look at that and I think, all right, that was a very good use of our time. And all of us grew a little stronger because of it. It was very encouraging. That's why we carve it out every two months. The six of us get together every two months. And I look at something like that, and I think, okay, that, in my mind, is a microcosm or an example of what Paul was talking about in this portion of Scripture. It's one way this applies, this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, meaning instead of coming together and then trying to elevate ourselves above somebody else, we tried to figure out what does my brother or sister need and how can I meet that need? How can I offer something that Christ has blessed me with to then just submit that over to them and be a blessing to them and build them up? And it's basically an opportunity to just go around the table and make somebody else's life better. And so I look at a portion of scripture like this and I think this, our earthly lives are brief, so brief. You know, just this past Friday night, our family, we were at a, a funeral together someone who passed away relatively young, someone we were good friends with. And it, it makes me think about stuff like this a lot. And it's hard to make up for lost time. We don't, we don't have a lot of time. You have a brief period of time. So with an eye toward the fact that we have limited time, just like Paul was talking about here, I think it's wise for us to implement the counsel that we're given here in God's Word. Let's make the best use of our time by embracing the wisdom of God. Let's make the, the best use of our time by living under the control, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let's make the best use of our time by revering Christ and treating His bride very, very well. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for what You show us in Your Word and for the opportunity that we have to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this together. Lord, we're just so thankful for it, and we're thankful for the fact that when we look at something like this, we're, we're not looking at a portion of Scripture that you're just giving us casual, flippant, whatever kind of information. You're telling us things that are transformative. You're saying, this is what it actually looks like to spend your life listening to my voice and making good use of the time. And Lord, I, I, sometimes I just scratch my head and think how quickly a decade goes by, or two decades, or three decades just happens like the snap of a finger. And Lord, we know that the day is coming when we're going to be standing in your presence, and I do believe that one of the things we'll give an account in regard to our life uh, before you will be how we use the time you blessed us with. 
Did we use the time that you blessed us with to honor you and to serve your people and to glorify your name in the midst of a fallen and evil world? Or did we pursue our own comforts at the, at the cost of everything else? So, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to take that inventory and just to think about these things from time to time and to, to really wrestle with the, the concepts that you mentioned to us here through the lips of the Apostle Paul or through his pen as you inspired him to write these things down. Lord, we're just so grateful to be able to have access to this. And right now, Lord, I pray for anyone who may be trying to discern what your will happens to be. Lord, we know that that at times we really wrestle with that, and there are aspects of your sovereign will that I think you purposely allow us to wait to see the answer to because it's an opportunity for our faith in you to be strengthened and to grow. So, Lord, help us not to despise that waiting period. If we're asking you for intervention in a particular area, if we're asking you for clarification in a particular area, help us not to despise the period of time where you say, right now is a time where you're just going to need to trust me and wait. So, Lord, if you're asking any of us to do that, we pray that we would do that. We pray that we would just trust you and we would wait, and that we would know that your answer will come when it comes, and it will come at the right time. And in the meantime, we can be content in you. We can have joy in you in the midst of any circumstance we may be facing. So, Lord, we pray that you'd flood our minds and our hearts with that kind of peace, and with that kind of contentment. It was a contentment that the Apostle Paul expressed that he had because you gave it to him, and we pray that you would give us that same kind of contentment as we trust in you. Lord, we're just so grateful again to be able to start off our week together looking at your word, and we pray that you would speak these truths to our minds and our hearts in a powerful way, and we pray that not only right now while it's fresh in our minds, but also throughout the course of the rest of this day and the rest of this week and ultimately the rest of our lives, that you would bring these things back to our minds frequently. And we do believe that that's one of the ministries of your Holy Spirit, as he brings your word back to our minds, as he helps us to understand it and remember it. So we pray that these would be things that we would remember, and as we remember them, we pray that we would grow and that we would glorify you. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things. We just praise you, Lord, for your love as you demonstrate it to us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. We hope to better equip you to be salt and light for your community. Uh, We hope that we can help you to go out and be a reflection of Jesus Christ to those around you, uh, to your friends and your family, and especially to those that do not know Christ. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.